Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Revere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. Tonight, we have a two-parter. Well, tonight's part one. Uh, part two will come in a couple of weeks um, with Charles Merritt. Chase, as he likes to be called, is his nickname. If you have seen the documentary Two Shallow Graves, uh, you will be very familiar with whom Chase is. If you haven't, you're probably going to want to pause this uh, and go online. I think it was on HBO. I think they call it Max now. Um, or if you've got streaming devices, you know, you'll, you'll find it pretty quickly. Uh, and spend the time to watch it. Because i got to say, uh, I loved it. Uh, it made me angry. It made me frustrated um, with you know, the justice system. Um, it, it shows basically, did he do it or did he not do it? And i got to be honest. I mean, even through my followers, and I mentioned uh, Chase was going to be on the podcast, it was split whether they thought he committed the crime or not. Um, one of his, I don't know if his friends or family members reached out to me and said he wanted to be on the podcast. He actually heard about the podcast. He's on San Quentin's death row. So not a spoiler alert. Ah, oh, they found him guilty. <laughs> Call me from prison. So it's cats out of the bag there. Uh, but that's okay. It doesn't even matter if you know that, but watch a documentary and you'll still uh, be like, man, did, did he do it or did he not do it? And, you know, I give everybody a platform here without being judgmental. Uh, watching, I was like, well, yeah, he probably did it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Got to be honest, I'm really not sure now. I mean, I'm really, really, really not sure. I would almost lean toward, man, I don't, I don't know if this guy did it. Um, but, but I'm not sure. And that, I think that's the beauty of what this podcast is going to be and what that documentary was. Um, he has a book that he's writing. He's going to start a website. Uh, if nothing else, man, he backs everything up with his own facts. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, and oddly enough, he was on in San Quentin on death row. He's outside on the yard and uh, another, uh, no, say another serial killer, Chase isn't a serial killer, serial killer, um, convicted serial killer, Randy Kraft, who I'm also, I've been talking to recently, uh, somebody else who's proclaiming his innocence, and we're doing, some, me and, me and uh, Randy are working on something, not sure what that's going to be, I'm sure it'll be on the podcast, but maybe a website or a social media page uh, with his information, but anyway, those two were talking, and Randy has suggested me come on my podcast for your platform um, to promote the book or the upcoming book, you know, his website. And a spot for him to declare his innocence. And I guess it's going to be a two-parter. And I would love to hear what you guys think. You know, when, when it comes online, when I post it, definitely comment and share. Uh, but I said, you might want to watch a documentary first and uh, and kind of get a grasp of what we're talking about. You don't have to, but you, you'd be kind of lost, I think, in this, documentary, uh, in, this, in this podcast if you haven't seen the documentary. Uh, so do that. Pause it. I think it's like seven or eight uh, parts. Uh, I guess not long. Uh, it's definitely binge worthyable, if that's a word. Uh, so definitely do that. And then come back to it. I'll be right here. I promise I ain't going anywhere. Uh, then get back to the podcast or just, heck, we just, just wing it and just go for it. Um, but I'm doing, uh, every other Thursday. At least that's what we're shooting for. So this is part one. In a couple of weeks, you hear part two. All right. So without further ado, here is Chase. Well, first off, you know, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. It was glad I said your friend that reached out to me, you know, wanting to, you know, to promote your book, your, your innocence to come on the podcast. I was, um, um, I was really excited to hear, and I saw the documentary, and it, it just blew me away. You know, and I mentioned to some of my followers, you're coming on. It blew them away also. Like, you got to have them on. We, we got to hear from them, you know, because, you know, half, of, half the people believe totally in your innocence. Some don't. A lot are on the fence. I mean, a lot are really on the on the fence, and I hope yeah. you know through our podcast you can really you know push them, you know, push them over, push them over to the side. Um, but first and foremost, how are you doing? 
Yeah, how are you doing physically, emotionally? I mean, you you obviously been through so much over all these years. How are you? How are you holding up? Yeah, I'm doing exceptional. I'm physically, I'm probably in as in as good a health as um, I've ever been. Um, I'm mentally, I'm good. You know, obviously, I have my days in this place, but um, for the most part, I'm good. I have a lot of um, a lot of supporters, my family, I have a lot of friends, um, you know, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing well. That's good. You mentioned supporters and a big part of the documentary was your daughter. Um, you know, I think obviously too personal about her. Um, she seemed like, you know, it was like your rock, almost like a very strong support system while, you know, the documentary and the trial was going on. Um, is she still that rock for you? You know, you still in, in, have that real tight bond oh, and just support. I mean, she seems like such a wonderful daughter. All the support that she's given you, giving you. She is, and and yeah, she's she's uh, she's an incredible. Um, always from day one, she's she's been there. Anything that I've needed, uh, you know, whether it just be someone to talk to or or, or whatever. So yeah, she's 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 good. Oh, that's good. And uh, I'm sure the tablets now have made your life as far as getting your innocence out there. And we'll talk about your book, you know, you're promoting that. The tablet, the new technology, um, the new technology that's out there for you, has that made it a lot easier for you to get information to yourself uh, about your case, your trial, to get information out there? And how's that been beneficial to you? In- well, well it's, it's mostly been beneficial just to stay in contact with my family and my kids. Um, my kid's mother, um, uh, it, you know, that's been the, the biggest benefit. Uh, I have a lot of, um, things sent to me, um, stuff from different blogs and from different, different internet sources, um, that I'm going to be incorporating at least some of into the book. Uh, not so much. Because primarily because number one, it's already out there. Um, unless I have unless I have something specific or someone specific to um, comment about, you know, uh, either because they are absolutely right or they're absolutely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I may I may very I may very well um, have some uh, comments about. Things that have, have transpired since my trial, and things that have been said, and uh, but for the most part, um, I'm just focused on um, getting this book done uh, so that people can understand, really fully understand all of the dynamics of what actually went on during the trial. Because just watching the trial or just watching the documentary doesn't doesn't it, it just Barely scratches the surface. Oh, I'm sure. I know recently, you know, I have a few friends in, in San Quentin and even on death row that now that they're eliminating, you know, death row and they're, you're going to start transferring people out. Um, I mean, what was that like to find out, you know, for one, that, you know, you got convicted um, to go to death row, but now to find out that they're eliminating it. Um, what was that like for you to find out that, you know, you're technically you're on death row, well, yeah, but you're going to be moved out. Was that a, a, I'm sure a positive thing, but how is it soon to be transferred out? Is that hindering you in any way? 
No, um, I believe that I'll have most of my, uh, for instance, I'll have, I'm quite sure I'll have the book done prior to ever being transferred out, number one, which is one of my main goals. Um, I'm also doing some write-ups on a couple of the different witnesses, like Agent Bowles and uh, a couple of the others, specific write-ups that are going to be in my website, on my website. I need I need to get those finished so people can understand exactly what uh, have a better understanding besides what's in the book, um, a better understanding of of some of the specific players. Good um, during during my trial, but uh, the transfers, uh, you know, I could care less. Um, <laughs> no matter where no matter where I'm at, I'm going to be. Um, working on getting out of here, and, mm-hmm. uh, getting back to my family and my girlfriend. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, it wasn't. You said you hadn't seen the documentary, but what was the feedback there? Um, for those who might have heard about it, was there any type of feedback at all, or wasn't really much of an issue uh, when the documentary was released? I, it was um, a, a lot more positive than negative, but there was some. Obviously, there there's always going to be the naysayers. Sure. Um, there's no getting around that, um, especially because of the way the trial went and the way the evidence evidence was presented, mm-hmm. and the way I wasn't actually represented properly. Yeah, that was. Um, that's there's there's you know I don't blame people. Uh, I there's no way I can place blame for someone that watched the trial because in all honesty at the end of the trial I told my attorneys before before um, the jury ever even went to deliberation just before I was um, be, I was behind you know back in the, one of the holding cells uh, at the courthouse and I looked at them and I told them that you got me convicted yeah they're going to convict me. Hmm. And they, you know, of course they said, well, now, Chase, you don't know. I said, yes, I do. If I were a jury, juror in this trial, I would convict me. Mm-hmm. And I'm pro me. Yeah. But I would still convict <laughs> me if I was a juror in this trial. Sad but true. So mm-hmm. if I would, if I would, by the information that the jury got, then I can't blame the jury. They did their job. I can't blame the naysayers, uh, you know, the ones that, that, that believe that I'm guilty, because I know what they saw. I know what they saw at my trial. I know what they saw um, throughout all of all of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I would have convicted me too. So, yeah. you know, I'm not. I, you know, I, I can't really um, comment on. You know the people that are out there saying, "Yeah, I'm guilty of sin, and I'm an animal, and all of these other things," because you know um, the information they have. With the information they have, that's the only conclusion they could have come to. Mm-hmm. It's why, almost like that's he, why the book. Yeah, right? I mean, it's almost like it's a TV show too, and most like the trials, like half a TV show. You see these guys on reality TV shows, and when it's when the editing is all done and the final product. They can tell any story they want. It's not reality. You know, it's all fake. Of 
you know, but they can put the twist and that's why yeah. you know, I'm happy you want to use my platform to where this is you, you know, the unedited version, so to speak, of what really went on and presenting the facts. You know, people still have their opinions, but at least it's not going to be edited in such a way like the documentary was or the trial. It's a shame because most trials, it's about hiding as much evidence as possible on one side. Like it's not about truth. You're trying to hide the truth to help somebody out. You know, I mean, that's yes, it's still the best justice system in the world, but it's still so bad. You know, it's still it's still so bad. Um, it is. In all, on, in all honesty, I, I, I thoroughly believe in our justice system. Mm-hmm. What, what I have a problem is with is not the justice system. It's the people that are willing to circumvent the rules yeah. that have been oh, in place yeah. for, for two hundred years. Yeah. And they're willing to they're willing to to sacrifice their morals. They're willing to to circumvent. The laws and the and the Constitution, in order to get a conviction, mm-hmm. it's it, it isn't it isn't the justice system. The justice system, our justice system, is sound if we had honest, yeah. genuine people, yeah, um, using that system. Mm-hmm. Very but good point. Unfortunately, unfortunately, um, we don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there are some, you know, for instance, you know, my daughter, I believe, is going to be one hell of an attorney. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I believe, I believe that she will be, that she will have the integrity that, that, a, that an attorney should have. Mm-hmm. But that isn't always the case. Yeah. And in my case, it definitely wasn't. Mm-hmm. Neither, neither for the prosecution nor my defense, my defense yeah. counsel, or the judge, or even the judge. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was just, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it well, was just. Let's kind of start at you know the beginning, so to speak. Um, when people are you know convicted and they want to know about somebody's past, just briefly, um, you know, what was it like growing up a merit? You know, a great childhood, horrible childhood, and then it would eventually. Um, brought you into the welding trade, you know, from youth up to that. What was the initial spark to get you involved in the trade itself? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was actually great to grow up with. You know, we had I had seven brothers and sisters. Um, you know, we all. You know, my mom uh, raised us primarily herself for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, we had we had a good life. I mean, we were relatively poor, but um, we didn't really lack for anything. So it was good. it was good. Uh, definitely good. Little little town, Hesperia. You know, the little town of Hesperia, California. Um, when we moved there, it was you know, you know, basically when a, when the first traffic light. We had a parade when the first light, traffic light, come on. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was this small rural town, and, and it was it was good. Uh, that's good. Um, what was the what was the next question? Yeah. So the second part of that question was, um, what brought you into the welding trade? Okay. Well, that's a that's kind of a, a hairy question for <laughs> me, anyway. Okay. Um. I I have never been in other 
Well, let me let me rephrase that. I was never a welder. Yeah. Okay. I weld, and I weld very well. Um, but that has never been my trade. I've never been a welder. I I I manufactured waterfalls. I've manufactured ornamental iron, which requires welding. Ah, okay. But it also requires many, many other skills. I've, I've, I've designed gold prospecting equipment. I've, I've, I've built, designed and built different types of furniture and manufactured it. Um, I was doing custom steel sculptures for the longest time for, for almost 15 years. Um, matter of fact, you can still find many of my sculptures, um, on the, on the web. If you, um, just type in, uh, Warner Brothers, like, let me see, Warner Brothers, uh, Pretty Bird and Sylvester bookends, um, or Tasmanian Devil or things like that. You'll find sculptures that I did, that I did limited editions for. Oh, wow. The Warner Brothers studios. Um. I, again, I was never a welder. I welded, but my trade has never been welding. And um, yeah. that's one of the reasons, one of the, the things that, that kind of pissed me off about Michael McStay um, when he got on the stand and said that his brother, Joseph, wanted him to learn how to weld so that he could take over and do what I, and, and replace me. <laughs> There's, you know, welding welding is literally five percent of manufacturing waterfalls. It's, it's, oh, I can imagine. It's yeah. So minute, it's such it's such it's such a small part of it. I actually hired it out oh. most <laughs> most of the time because it's yeah. so, because welding stainless steel is time consuming. Yeah, and it was cost efficient to hire it out. You could so, see, I could see uh, how it's almost like offensive now, you know, because all the, you know, when you read articles in a documentary, oh, he's a welder, he's a welder. Well, I can see that's really kind of offensive. Yeah. You're like, listen, no, <laughs> it is. I, I am an artist. I'm you know, not, let's start I'm not there. A <laughs> exactly. Well, it's it's even more than it's even more than that. My father, um, during the summers of my high school years, my father um, had me working for him. He was. A mechanical engineer. Um, he he repaired virtually ev- everything at a at a um, company that um, salvaged steel and different metals. He repaired the the, the the cranes and the tractors and the forklifts, the car crushers and things like that. Wow! And he taught he taught me his trade. While I was working with him, and one of one of the things that he was extremely good at was welding as well. Sure, um, you know that type of industry requires a, a significant amount of welding. And, sure, and so yeah, I learned how to weld. That's where I learned originally is from my father. Nice. Now, what what led you to? Um, now, was it a friendship? With Joseph McStay first, or was it automatically like a business relationship? How that whole format between meeting him and getting you know joining him in this business? No, it was. Well, I was already manufacturing waterfalls extensively. Oh, okay. Um, 
before I ever met Joseph. Um, I was at a trade show, I believe in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I had on display probably 16 to 20 different types of waterfalls that I was selling to, you know, um, the general public. And believe it or not, Dan Kavanaugh came into my booth. I didn't know him from Adam at the time, mm -hmm. but he he came into my booth and talked to me for a few minutes um, and mentioned that he was involved in um, the sales of, of waterfalls. And so I gave him one of my cards, and, and that was it. And probably about three months later, I got a call from Joseph. Apparently, Dan Kavanaugh had given him my card. And Joseph had a project that nobody else would touch. It was, it was a very specialized waterfall that nobody really wanted to, um, to do. So he called me and asked me if I was interested and would I be able to do it? Because everyone else basically just, they didn't want to take the responsibility. It was, it was a tough project. And so he sent me over the drawings. I went over it, gave him a price, said, yes, I will do it, and yes, I can do it. And he gave me that first project. And then it just went from there. Um, yes. once, once, we, once we established that, that relationship, then it just moved, moved on. He started uh, sending me different customers' requests. I would do draw drawings for him, set up, you know, uh, I'd even call his customers, tell them what was and was not possible and so on. And, um, and that's how we got started. Nice. And was this a, a partnership in the business? Did it become like that? Or were you more like a, you know, a subcontractor, no, so to speak, never, just helping? Joseph and, I, Joseph, Joseph and I were never partners. Uh, oh, okay. We, I was a subcontractor. He, he sold the waterfalls, I manufactured them. And it got to the point where I was manufacturing about three quarters or a little bit more, probably 80% of his custom features. Oh, wow. I also had a line of, of, of production, a production line of waterfalls that he also put on his website and, and uh, were, were selling, he was selling very well. Um, but I did about 80% of his custom features. Um, there was a, a couple, two or three other companies. There's only a few companies in the country that, that do custom waterfalls. So, um, you know, it was, it, it's, a, it's a business that is um, very lucrative, but mm -hmm. um, not a whole lot of competition. Yeah, okay. And so it was easy for me to easy for me to take over Joseph's custom side because I could produce the waterfalls faster and better. Um, I would, I was, my company was willing to go to on site anywhere in the, in the world, as a matter of fact, to install the water features um, at, at minimal cost instead of, you know, uh, every other company was just exorbitant, you know, wow. 
a $10,000 waterfall would cost would cost them $8,000 to install, hmm. which was you know ludicrous. <laughs> so uh, we we struck up a very good relationship, business relationship, and we moved from there. Now, what was was Dan involved in the business, Dan Cavanaugh, from the beginning, or what was his role actually in the company? As far as I knew, um, what Joseph told me, um, Dan Cavanaugh handled the website, and that's it. He simply handled the website. Gotcha. Um, he did nothing. He did nothing as far as sales went. He did nothing. All he did was keep the website up to date and you know, make it. Uh, he made it, you know, rise in the standings, you know, in the rank or the rankings in the on, mm. the on the web. So when you type in waterfalls, Joseph's website came up. Gotcha. It made it sound like that, that was his job from the interviews and from the documentary. The way he came across was he was an integral part of getting sales. Like, and he wanted to get profits and he wanted to get a percentage because he, if without me, was, you're not getting any sales. And it made it sound like that, but you're like, you made a website. We were doing well, fine without the. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. He believed that without him, the website would flounder, it, its ratings would go down, and there would be no sales. But in reality, what was happening is, over over a several-year period, Joseph um, continued learning the, the the basics and all of the all the things that necessary to run the website. And so Dan's Dan started becoming less and less relevant. Ah, okay. It was, and that was the main contention between Joseph and him. Um, Dan was feeling like he was being left behind, and Joseph wanted to leave him behind because he, 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 he was not nearly as relevant as he was at the beginning. They never, never um, had the relationship that Dan said that they had. Did Joseph promise him things that uh, he didn't necessarily deliver? I believe so. I, I cannot. I cannot say for sure. So, all earmarks. I believe Dan was slighted at least somewhat mm-hmm. by Joseph. Now. You know, and not to say, you know, and I hate to speak ill, ill of Joseph, but but it, it wasn't it wasn't really. It's hard to explain. Dan was Dan was a pain in, pain mm-hmm. in the butt, <laughs> and Joseph was Joseph was trying to keep him relevant. As a matter of fact, he he, he even um, tried to get him more interested in a water ionizer site so that he could get him away from waterfalls and still be able to um, 
so Dan could still be, be able to make a living. Ah, okay. But selling water water ironizers instead of waterfalls. So he wasn't getting uh, a big percentage of all this. It must have sounded like he was like almost like a partner in this, too. But he was basically the web designer. He wasn't getting part of a, a percentage of each one waterfalls and getting rich from sales. He was a web designer. Now, gotcha. don't get me wrong. I cannot, I cannot absolutely say for sure that Dan was never a partner. Or at least, at least, I know that he was never a partner legally or on paper. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I can, I cannot say what went on behind closed doors. Whether they had a handshake and said, and Joseph told him things that. I'm not privy to, so yeah. I can't talk, I can't speak sure. of that. I do know, I do know that Joseph told me that he made a deal with, with Dan, and he told, he told everybody. Matter of fact, Mike, Mike has said it, um, Patrick McStay has said it, um, uh, Susan Blake, his mother has said it, that Joseph was paying Dan off to get him away from, you know, because Dan was was just, like I said, he was becoming less relevant. So he was literally paying him off to, and hoping he would move into this water ionizer site mm-hmm. and start making money there and leave his business alone because Dan, Dan had started threatening him to, to, to just shut the business down or send it to porn sites when people try to go on it and things like that. He was definitely trying to appease Dan, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure whether it was because they were at one time partners or not, because I'm not privy to what happened behind closed doors between them two. Gotcha. Um, I know that they weren't legally legal partners. But I do know for a fact that Joseph told me and Michael and Patrick that Dan was paid off. He was no longer any part of it. Wow. They, okay. They had made a deal, and Joseph gave him all of the money. Mm. And so, um, yeah. So, yeah. That's. I, I do know that. And so, uh, yeah, there are. There, okay. I was going to say, there are many things that that point to uh, Dan Kavanaugh no longer being. Um, Part of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, besides Joseph telling everybody, number one, but there's other, other many other things. Not the least of which, um, if you look at um, the last message he, Dan Kavanaugh left on Susan, I mean, on, on, on Summer McStay's cell phone when she, when he was uh, purportedly trying to get a hold of Joseph. He, 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 he says, hi, this is, uh, and I can't, I can't remember whether he announced his name or not. I can't remember verbatim, but he says, this is, but he said, this is Joseph's partner. And then he stops and he says, or ex-partner. There's no, there's no reason for him to say that if he was not already. And not to mention when the detectives specifically told him that they were looking into an insurance policy that they believed that Joseph had 
it ended up not panning out. It was not it was not a life insurance policy at all. But they believed it was at the time, and they asked Dan about it, and Dan specifically said, "Well, you shouldn't. Basically, you shouldn't be looking at me because um, the a life insurance policy would be for a partner in the company, and I'm not a partner. I don't own any part of Earth Inspired Products." So, you know, and so mm-hmm. he was he was letting the detectives know that um, he's not any part of it. So yes. don't look at me because of his insurance policy. Oh yeah. So there's and there's many other telling, very telling things um, with Dan Kavanaugh and and his alleged partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he was whether he was a handshake partner, um, like I said, I cannot I cannot say for sure because. Sure. I wasn't privy to everything that Tim and Dan. I do know that Joseph had paid him off whatever he was gaining for, and that it was uh, they were parting ways, and they had parted ways before Joseph's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know about, or even for your no. personal knowledge of the relationship between? No, did you and Dan have a, a relationship? I was going to ask you as it was coming to an end, as he was kind Dan of buying I, them out. Or go ahead. Dan, Dan and I. Dan and I met once. Uh, I'm sorry, twice. Once at a birthday party for one of one of Joseph's boys. Uh, I, I guess three times. I believe Dan Kavanaugh was at Joseph's wedding. Um, I went to Joseph's wedding. Me and my whole family did. And then... Uh, the very first time I met Dan, when I gave him my business card at the sure. show. That's it. I really never, I never socialized with him. Oh, okay. I never got to know, had any contact with him business-wise until after Justice disappeared. Okay. I mean, to your best knowledge, how was when I said when he went to buy him out? What was their if if you know? Was it contentious at that point? Or was Joseph and his relationship when parting of ways anyway? It was ex- well, um, and we might want you might want to get into this a little later if you're very interested in that part of Joseph's uh, Joseph's business. Mm-hmm. I can I can literally some of the things that Dan Kavanaugh told the detectives in his interview things that have that obviously have never been. Um, publicly uh, accessed because mm-hmm. that interview was never in the trial. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. But I have that interview. Mm-hmm. And Dan Kavanaugh, Dan Kavanaugh telling the detectives that um, Joseph was a shyster and he was trying to, trying to uh, play the Christian card on him and he was, um, he was uh, doing some side shady shit. Uh, he told the detectives he was doing some side shady shit with me, with Chase, and that um, it quote it turned sour eventually. Mm. So even in Dan's own words, yeah, it, it turned very very sour. And I have I have many 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 quotes from Dan Kavanaugh from his directly from the interviews from the with the detectives. Oh, good, yeah, definitely. Um, if later you want, if later you want to hear some of them, I will be. I will be quoting uh, many of them in my book, mm-hmm. uh, discussing Dan, the, the 
the dynamics between Joseph and Dan Kavanaugh. Oh, sure. uh, I'll be more than happy to share some of them with you. Yeah, I think well, you can, in, a, in a few minutes, I definitely want to get to that. Let me know if that's what you want. Oh, for sure. I'll pull them out. But I think a very... Obviously, I'm not going to remember all of them. Oh, of course. But I think a, a, a very important question now, at this moment, as far as they have a contentious relationship. Obviously, Dan is upset. We'll get into some of the quotes and threats you know, that I've heard him say that are on record. Um but what was your really at the at this time when he was letting him go or buying him out, whatever that was? How was your relationship with Joseph and the business? Was everything good with you guys? We were doing great. That's, um, that's what it seems. Contrary that, to what, the, yeah. Contrary to what the, the how the trial put it put it out there, um, Joseph and I were doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you have to think about this. You know, people say, "Well, yeah." I allegedly owed him all this money, um, and, I, and that'll all be explained in the book, but, and, and, and I will discuss it a little bit later if you want. But in reality, why would if we were doing so poorly, if Joseph really was having problems with, for instance, my workmanship and things like that, the two, two of the largest projects he had ever contracted a Paul Mitchell waterfall for $32,000 and the Saudi Arabia project for, I think it was $64,000. Two of the largest single product projects that we've done, that, that Joseph ever contracted. On February 1st, just three days before his disappearance, he emailed me. Well, and, and before that, we had discussed, and I had we had already made the deal. I had I had bid on them, and I was doing those projects. But even the email specifically states that I'm doing those projects. How? Why would there's other waterfall manufacturers out there that could have done those projects? They they were they were semi complicated, but Joseph could have found someone else. Mm-hmm. Had we really had a contentious relationship or a problem with our business relationship or with my workmanship, or sure, that that should tell people um, volumes as to where Joseph and I stood. Mm-hmm. Why would he, just before he disappeared, the two largest projects he had ever um, uh, contracted? Mm-hmm. You know, people people just don't. Some people, I can't <laughs> say all people, but some people just don't use common sense. Um, Were those projects and, ever finished? Were they, they ever got to, or we have to? Of course, they, they were finished. They were not only finished; they were finished after Joseph. Now, Joseph contracted them. You have to you have to understand. Joseph mm-hmm. contracted these waterfalls. I didn't. I contracted. I was the subcontractor for Joseph. Yeah, but he chose you. He, he specifically he chose, chose you for right. this. That he could have chose other people. Like I said, he didn't do all of his work, but he specifically Correct. chose you. Correct. Now, when Joseph disappeared on February fourth, just before he disappeared, he received the money for both of those features, the um, the fifty percent deposits. He ended up sitting down with me, and we went over all of the finances, which is what that that 
email was all about. And when he when Joseph disappeared, he was supposed to be paying me um, quite a bit of money <laughs> for those features, right? Mm-hmm. To get them, to get them finished. Sure. But he he disappeared. I didn't have to finish those projects. I was contracted to do them from Joseph. Sure. Okay. I could have just walked away. Mm-hmm. I finished both of those projects. The Paul Mitchell waterfall I finished on February 22nd. I shipped it on February 22nd. Uh, no, wait a minute. I installed it on February 22nd. I flew to New York. I think it was, I can't remember the dates right now. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, but I flew to New York and I, am, I, I shipped it to New York. I flew to New York myself and installed that water feature. Mm. Um, Susan Blake was, uh, well, Susan Blake and Dan Kavanaugh were sent the final payment for that water feature. The, the, I think it was like $16,000. I went, when, as far as the Saudi Arabia project done, was on March 5th, I shipped, I finished those waterfalls, there was three of them, and I shipped them on March 5th. And then sometime in April, I think it was April, late April, maybe early June, I flew to Saudi Arabia. On now, I, Joseph wasn't paying me to go install these because he wasn't around. Mm-hmm. But I flew to Saudi Arabia and installed all three of those water features. I was there almost a week, um, and installed all three of them, mm-hmm. and then flew back. Mm-hmm. And. I didn't have to do any of that. Mm-hmm. Joseph was Joseph was missing. You know, I, I but I did it because I had contracted those waterfalls, and people, you know, people start you know, they start saying, "Oh well, where did all this money go?" That you know, where I, when I um, cashed the checks, wrote wrote and cashed those three checks, March fourth, fifth. Yeah, March 4th and 5th, I believe. I'm sorry, February 4th and 5th, that I wrote. Where did all that money go, they're saying? Well, people don't realize that stainless steel for those three water features was over $7,000 just for the stainless steel. Wow. Or for for both projects. Mm -hmm. The glass for Paul Mitchell alone was over $5,000 just for the glass. Joseph didn't buy it. There's no, there's, there's nothing in any of Joseph's records where it shows he bought it. So who bought it? Yeah, that's not, that, not that, Dan Kavanaugh. That's not, not how subcontractors work. Subcontractors take care of all that. Yeah. I purchased that glass with the money that I wrote those checks for. Mm-hmm. But the people, you know, the prod, the um, prosecutor had the audacity to say, "Oh yeah, where all that money? Where did it go?" Well, the projects were finished. <laughs> um, even in trial, the, the prosecutor um, um, 
intimated that those two projects were never finished. But they knew better. Mm-hmm. Anybody, anybody could have called Paul Mitchell, the salon in New York, and said, hey, did you get the waterfall installed there? And they would, of course, said, yes, it's beautiful. Thank you. Da, da, da. Same, same thing with the um, project. All it would have taken is a phone call. Yeah. To verify that that waterfall, those all three of those waterfalls are finished. I have pictures of me and the crew that I worked with in Saudi Arabia installing those. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I have pictures of the finished waterfall. That's amazing. And I have a picture of the, the 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 Paul Mitchell waterfall with me standing next to it. It also you know, it also doesn't so, make logical sense of timing. If you wanted to kill somebody. That's not the time to do a lucrative deal, you know, project. It's like I'm either going to do it after the fact, or you know, I would have did it before. Not right in the middle of all. That doesn't even make sense. Well, you and you have no idea. Um, We had just bid on 500 waterfalls. You don't know the half of it because. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. and the fact that Procter and Gamble owns the rights to Mr. Clean, mm-hmm, the, sure. the product Mr. Mm-hmm. Clean, right? Well, Procter and Gamble decided that they were going to open a chain of car washes across the nation, and their anticipation they, they anticipated within three years. They would they would build 500 locations across the nation called Mr. Clean. They were doing it because they kind of had the corner of the market because they could not only do the you know have the car wash business, but the the uh, soap and everything that they used for the car wash business would would be bought from themselves. So it, it was you know it was a great business plan. Anyway, long story short, they were putting a water feature in the lobby of each one of the of the oh wow stores. Yeah, that was their plan. Mm-hmm. We had we had already done the prototype. I think the first one was in Ohio or someplace I can't remember. I flew there and installed it. A beautiful waterfall, a tile waterfall um, with the colors of Procter and Gamble and everything, and. Each one of the water features was going to was going to be eighteen thousand dollars, and we were about to sign a contract to do five hundred of them. Oh, um, wow! Now, it, obviously, the contract was contingent on them actually opening the stores. Of course, but it was Procter and Gamble. We mm-hmm. were pretty sure, <laughs> um, and so we had that as well. It ended up. Um, I heard. Um, about six months after Joseph disappeared, that Procter and Gamble um, put a stop to producing any other um, stores. Okay. Their one store may still be open. I don't mm-hmm. know, but they, for some reason, they had some issues, and they decided uh, that they weren't going to going to do it. But Joseph and I, at that time, didn't know that. Sure. We were totally excited it's, yeah, of course. Know, a multi-million dollar contract uh-huh. and uh, and 
we were in the middle of that, along with other projects that were coming in. Sure, um, I can imagine. As a matter of fact, projects that, and contrary to what Susan Blake said, projects that came in after Joseph disappeared, and Susan Blake took the money for, hmm. and paid me to produce. But yet she told she, she in, in trial, when the court specifically asked her after February 10th, um, how, what money came in, and she said there wasn't any money that came in after February 10th. When in reality, there was 46, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, mm-hmm. don't quote me, but I believe it was somewhere around $46,000 came in directly to Susan Blake into a checking account that her and Michael opened. Well, no, actually first, they were going to, it was being deposited directly into her personal account. And then they opened the business account, um, and the money started going into it. But Susan Blake said, oh, yeah, there's no money. There was no money coming in, and I was paying Chase. There was money going out, and uh, you know, on and on and on. When in reality, there was seven, I believe it was seven projects amounting to about $46,000 that came in that Susan took the money for and paid me for the features. And I'll mm. guarantee you, you won't see any any of those features um, that had a problem. People complaining about not getting them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They complained about contracting with with Dan Cavanaugh and water features that he promised them. But ones that the ones that Susan Blake contracted, and I have the names of all of those projects, okay. and I have the checks mm-hmm. that she was. I actually have her checking account and the checks she received. Nice. For those features, mm-hmm. but yet, but yet she she told the court that she never received any money after February 10th. Yeah, making making the jury feel sorry for her because she was paying me money. Mm-hmm. Because the prosecutor said, "Well, how much money did you give her?" Well, I don't know, a, a lot, you know, and so on. And and in reality, she was giving me, she was paying me for features that I was producing for her and she knew it yeah she knew it and that's why in my in my at the end of trial when they asked me if i had anything to say i turned and looked at summer and michael and told them you know what you did you know that it was wrong i understand that you you know you felt that i did this thing you would want to do almost anything to get me convicted. Yeah, what exactly. What you did is wrong. Mm-hmm. You, you lied. And I, and I said that. I said that in open court. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I did it intentionally because I wanted, I, I wanted her to know, you know, what, you know, what she was doing and what, because Susan was a big part of me getting, getting convicted. Sure. Now, at and, the, oh, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, what since you were you're making good money, you're doing a lot of business, you know, from overseas and all these you know potential projects, those that were going on at the time he disappeared. I haven't read anything that you were unhappy with percentage of money that you were getting. What? No. What? I mean, I can't. Like motive, I guess, is a big thing here. You're happy with what you're getting. What? I mean, even hypothetically. What? what possible benefit would you have with with well, him gone? They, 
what they said what they said is that I owed Joseph allegedly thirty thousand dollars or that forty two thousand dollars when in reality if you look at like the provincial waterfall that was I don't know eighteen I don't remember the amount um, yeah I don't remember the amount but the provincial waterfall that was on that was on that email if you all you have to do and and my attorneys didn't do it in trial when they should have all you had to do is read what Joseph had to say in the uh, when he disputed them taking the money back out of his account he specifically told PayPal look this water feature was basically perfect we did our due diligence. We we supplied exactly what what they were supposed to. We actually bent over backwards. This is in Joseph's own words. But yet the prosecutor was allowed to tell the jury that this water feature somehow was my fault, or them taking the money back was somehow my fault. When all they had to do is, all my attorneys had to do is read Joseph's own words mm-hmm. concerning that 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 project in his dispute with with the uh, credit card company. Sure, but they but they didn't, and yeah. I'll be happy to read that read that to you verbatim uh, whenever if you want if you ever want to ask. It's going to be going into my book. So. And, and but you're still working. On, well, I mean, if you were even in debt, okay, let's say you, you owed him thirty grand. You're in, in debt for whatever reason. You just had two big projects. You saw Saudi Arabia, the other one, you know, with the Mr. Clean projects heading up that, at that time. You thought it would still be very lucrative. You, you're going to have a lot of money coming in. <laughs> so it doesn't make of any – it doesn't make logical sense. If it made logical sense where well, I owed the guy $200,000, I was – but you're not even partners with him. So it's not like you're – I think the misconception, even I had the misconception, is I thought you were even a partner in the business from the documentary. But – it's so big. Okay, hey, I'll kill my partner. I take over the business. Thirty thousand dollars is not a lot of money. I mean, if if you're really in debt for somebody for thirty grand, you have all these projects coming up. You got possibly the Mister Clean project coming up. So it's not a lot of money. I mean, it's not even a lot. Not a lot of money to pay somebody back on. Okay, I messed the waterfall up. Even if it's not true, um, it's not a big deal. But the whole motto for and you're not part of the company. It's not like you, you killed your partner. Hey, I'm taking over 100% of the profits. I'm getting paid pretty well. I got these awesome deals coming up. Now's not the time to kill the guy. Right. You know, in, <laughs> this in, is not the best. In, re- <laughs> no. in reality, in reality, when Joseph disappeared, besides the the waterfalls that Joseph had already were already in the mix, and I had already bid on, and the ones that Susan Blake ended up getting. Um, the money for you know the six or seven projects after Joseph disappeared. Um, without Joseph, there's no sales. Yeah, exactly. I had I had I had put all, and that's one of my before Joseph before I met Joseph, I was doing all of my own sales, and I was doing just fine. Mm-hmm. After I met Joseph, I pretty much put all of my eggs in that basket. He did the sales. I did the manufacturing, period. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as Joseph disappeared, my livelihood was gone. Yeah. There was no sales. Exactly. And, and it was just too, and to try to get, try to 
reinvent the sales end of a business once once you've been out of it for three years, out of the, the sales part of it, and and only been into manufacturing. It's a very difficult process. Number one, and number two, I didn't have the finances to to yeah. to go in to to start promoting waterfalls sure. again. I didn't have the finances to go to shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there was there was absolutely no reason. And you know, people and people are saying, well, you know, uh, like the the prosecution put on, you know, showed my bank accounts being overdrafted and all of this other all this other stuff. Yeah, I was I was financially um, living extremely close to the belt um, to the point where, yeah, I overdrafted my account all the time. Um, and I mean, I was living on a shoestring, but people don't understand really why. They don't understand the fact that I had three children in private school, not public school, mm-hmm. private school. Mm-hmm. We had, we had a, um, 42 foot yacht. Sitting at the long at in the Long Beach Harbor. Wow! That I was paying five hundred dollars a month just for the slip fees, not counting maintenance fees. I had, um, I mean, just an enormous amount of expenses. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the the production of the water fees. Yeah, I was say, and all the material out of your pocket, you had to pay down. the glass and the metal. Yeah, yeah. Um, our home expenses alone, just our home expenses, nothing, nothing having to do with the business, not even having anything to do with the, the yacht, just the home expenses were $67,000 a month. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> a month, a year, $67,000 a year. Mm-hmm. That was our basic nut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Was I making good money? Yes, I was. Sure, right. definitely. But, but that doesn't mean, you know, uh, people people are broke at different levels. Yeah, you know, people you, go to. Can, I was just going to say exactly. I was going to say you can go paycheck to paycheck, and every any level <laughs> of money, you know, in, right. in wealth of what you're bringing exactly. in, and that, no doubt, yeah, that's a silliness. Right. And you know, they're they're saying, well, why would he be going to? going and gambling money that he didn't have, what people don't realize and what, and I had, I could have brought in several witnesses that I asked my attorneys to do would have testified to the fact that I rarely lost at a casino, number one. Number two, I didn't go and pay, I didn't go and play money games. You know, I didn't put, you know, $500 down at a table and, and then just lose it. I only played tournaments. Mm. That's it. Mm-hmm. I played tournaments. And some of the turn- tournaments were, you know, uh, sometimes you could uh, either double buy-in or triple buy-in. And the, and the, the uh, prosecution would, would say, well, why would, he, why would he be taking multiple amounts of money out on the same evening, you know, a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars, right, out of an ATM at the casino. 
Well, they never because played, I bought in. Yeah, never played poker before. <laughs> and then I had to re and then I had to rebuy in a couple more times. Exactly. But in reality, that for the for the hours that I spent at the casino, I was averaging, and I, I wasn't getting rich by any means, but I was averaging about fifteen dollars an hour. Not a not a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. but it was enough to help supplement my our income and get us through. Sure. Without that money, mm-hmm. I would never have been able to survive at all because we were really, really, really tight. Yeah. Um, we had my kids. My kids went to very expensive private schools mm-hmm. um, because we didn't want them in public school sure. primarily. Not until not until my oldest daughter's last year in high school did she actually go to a public school. Sure. Um, throughout her entire life, she went to she she was in private school. That's nah, nice. And so and and only after Joseph disappeared did my other did my other two kids have to end up going to public school. Yeah. So, you know, um, and people say, well, you know, he was throwing away all of his money at a casino and all of yeah no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's in the Raising three kids properly is a very expensive venture, number one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I'll be more than happy. Matter of fact, you can probably go online and see our yacht that we had at the Long Beach Harbor. It's still online. Um, and it, it was absolutely stunning. It was a, uh, oh, sure. it was a 1946 yeah. Ketten, Kettenberg trawler that I, that I completely refurbished. And yeah, I spent a lot of money on it, but it was something that was done that our whole family did. Mm-hmm, sure. And that was our entertainment. That was that was what we did. You know, we would go out on weekends and, and go to Catalina or we would go out, you know, fifty, sixty miles out off the coast and just kind of sit there and enjoy enjoy the ocean, yeah. watch the dolphins and, um that's what we did. Sure. And so yeah, but the prosecution completely took all of it out of context, and and even uh, that, all the all the, I can hear the joy in your voice talking about it. The yacht, um, how proud you were sending the kids to private school, the money well, you were making. But for Joseph to be gone, to be killed, to be disapp- when when he disappeared, you are jeopardizing all of your happiness, basically. I was done. You know, not just your job, yeah, but no, the yacht, no. the kids in private school, your family, all the fun times, going to kids, all of that, a significant halt to all of that. Now, there hasn't right. been any documentation so, that you were threatening him beforehand, anything crazy, but what we do have, of course. we have Dan Cavanaugh. Now, I only heard one thing, and in our, our previous conversation you had mentioned more, I think it was in Joseph's, I think around 2009 in January, um, there was threats right. made. You know, the one that I have that was quoted from Dan, or somebody, you know, he says, you know, I know how to, you know, to make this, he, you know, knows how to make people disappear. You know, they'll find his bones in the, in, find his bones in the desert. You know, so there was threats that people have heard that are on record of Dan Cavanaugh. Now, he didn't, Dan Cavanaugh didn't make that quote. He, he made that quote to, Another one of his business acquaintances that he was doing a, this guy built a fish tank for him. 
and Dan Cavanaugh was supposed to do a website. Apparently, Dan Cavanaugh did the website, and the guy kept trying to get hold of Dan, but couldn't. But when he finally got hold of Dan to get his get the, the specs on what the what the um, fish tank was needed to be like, Dan went over to his house, and he uh, he was on. Uh, the guy said he was, he was apparently he hadn't slept for days. He was he was on a binge, and he threatened him, and, and that's that's when that quote came out. Mm, okay. He knows how to make. He, he threatened this guy, and the, and the guy was scared, so he made a police report. I have that police report. Good. Um, and yeah, you know, you know, come on. Mm-hmm. You don't make, you don't say things like that. Yeah. Without, you know, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, are you aware of anything else that he said as far as threatening wise? Um, whether. Uh, oh my god! Oh my god! I, I've got. I have like I have an entire file on Dan Kavanaugh. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we can get into it. I can pull it out. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have to to pull it out, and I can go through probably thirty or forty different statements that he made to the detectives, mm-hmm. specifically calling calling Joseph names, calling him a shyster, and um, he calling him all kinds of different stuff, and and. Uh, Telling the detectives, basically, um, and nobody, nobody, basically, is going to take his money. Mm-hmm. Not anybody, and things like that. And and the detectives just ignored him. Yeah. Just, just, just ignored. I mean, he ranted literally for an hour and a half with the detectives about how badly Dan, uh, Joseph was treating him and how he he wasn't going to let it happen because he had literally, quote, I have the power. You know, in other words, he could shut the shut the website down and things like that. And, and just for an hour and a half, he ranted with these detectives. Mm-hmm. And the detectives just listened to it in one ear, in one ear and out the other. Never even, never followed through with any questions. Um, nothing. And they obviously didn't bother checking to see whether he was actually in California when he said he was in Hawaii, because that is obvious. It's it's extremely obvious mm-hmm. that he was not. He was in San Diego. Yeah. He was hitting IP addresses all over San Diego from February 28th all the way through February 17th. All right. Well, there is part one of my interview uh, with Chase, with, with Charles Merritt. Uh, I hope that has whet your appetite because it's going to start to get even juicier. <laughs> but for now, we're just going to put a pause right there, and you're just going to have to tune in next time to hear the rest. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it. Um, I started talking to Chase um, you know, a few weeks before, maybe about a month before the podcast, um, doing some research, really get into the documentary, taking notes, and um, it just blows my mind uh, when I was talking to him. It was blowing your mind now a little bit. Uh, he's, he's, you know, backing everything up with facts. And uh, and and part two, obviously, I, I give a platform. I don't, I'm not the, you know, oh, I gotcha kind of guy. That, that's not what I do. That's why it's called the lighter side. I give you a platform. Uh, but Chase wanted me to hit him hard. He's like, if you have any doubts, um, ask all the hard questions. 
and I did. Um, you're, we're we're going to see that. Uh, where I definitely asked him um, about all the evidence that really points to him, and there's some sticking points that I, I'm not sure that um, I'm a hundred percent agreement on uh, with him uh, that he didn't do it. Uh, but I asked questions, and we're going to get to that next time. Uh, but for now, I uh, thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. I've uh, got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Uh, a lot of new guests that you haven't heard from, and some old faces and names that uh, uh, you did hear before. So, for now, and until next time, see ya! <laughs>